You are listening to Subro on the Go, a podcast from Cozen O'Connor's Subrogation and Recovery Practice Group, with discussions and perspectives on emerging trends, developments, and best practices. Now let's get started with your hosts, Dave Briscoe and Joe Rich. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Subro on the Go. Uh, this time around, we're going to be talking about end-of-the-year tips and tricks and what we do to chase checks. We have a great panel with us today. First off, we have Howard Macon, who is the chair of our Western Subrogation Region and co-vice chair of the Subrogation and Recovery Department here at Cozen O'Connor. We've got Sherry MacArthur, who chairs our Rocky Mountain Region in the Subrogation Department, and my uh, perennial co-host, David Briscoe, uh, subro man extraordinaire on the West Coast, here to chat with us. Um, we're going to be talking today about what are we doing at the end of the year to kind of maximizing our recoveries. So we're going to start it off with our first topic, mediation magic. Like, what are we doing, guys, to make the most out of mediations in the fourth quarter as we come into the end of the year? Great. So, Joe, it's Howard. Um, you know, the end of the year is traditionally the time when our department brings in the most money. Uh, That is for a number of reasons that we're going to cover today. But in order to do so, we really need to make that end of the year push. And in order to accomplish that, we really work hard to try and schedule uh, mediations, mandatory settlement conferences, or just meetings with opposing counsel or an adverse adjuster in order to try and get things resolved and part and parcel of that is a having a date that gives you enough lead time between the time where you could potentially settle the case and the time uh, needed to uh, receive the settlement funds process the funds and ultimately get them back out to the client part of that is being prepared for your settlement discussion whatever format it may be Uh, And in that vein, having things such as uh, settlement agreement in hand, uh, payment information, wiring instructions, W-9s, anything really on the administrative side that goes along with the settlement agreement that you can anticipate in advance. And then within that settlement agreement, we also want to take steps to make sure that we are letting the other side know that one of the reasons that we're resolving the case is with the understanding that you're going to pay this by the end of the year. You shouldn't be shy about telling the other side that that's important to you, uh, so much so that you should include certain deadlines in your um, settlement documentation. Well, it's such a great point, Howard, because, you know, there's such an art to this. And what I mean is there's an art to this end of the year game and being able to be somebody who can get money in before a deadline, whether you're a subro attorney, whether you're a subro specialist, but being able to be aware of the deadline you're trying to meet to get your money in to meet your own personal goals, your, your team's goals, your company's goals, and, and being able to take that mediation date that you have set or whatever you have as your you know date where you're hoping to get a deal done, but then turning that that settlement into the actual money that comes in and you're so right getting your ducks in the row um, agreement in hand payment info ready letting the other side know that kind of to me gets the other side a little excited too like 
hey, we're ready. So right, if a deal doesn't happen, it doesn't happen because you defense aren't ready, but we're coming ready. Um, and we still believe strongly in our case, and we'll talk about that today, but we're coming ready to go. Joe, Joe what do you think? Sorry about that. Um, I agree. I think what you guys are stressing is timing and getting the logistics in order, you know, because those are the things where we can sometimes hit road bumps if you're not thinking about it ahead of time. One, Like, for example, one thing I, I like to point out is I always make everybody understand that we may not wet ink be signing this settlement agreement. It may be signed by electronic means, DocuSign, whatever. But I like to, like, that's just an example of something I like to throw out there. Because the last thing I want is a defense counsel to come back to me and say, oh, no, we need like like a wet ink signature on the document and we need the original sent to me. In today's age, that kind of seems like an unreasonable request, but it's an example of things you want to get out ahead of, right? Yeah. And Joe, kind of dovetailing on that, uh, what you shouldn't fall into the trap of doing is becoming beholden to the other side and waiting for their signature. So when we draft our settlement agreements, we like to incorporate an effective date into those agreements. The effective date triggers the payment. Uh, and with respect to the effective date, we define it as the date that we provide our signatures, whether they be wet or electronic, to the defense, such that the defense can't say, yeah, we'll get around to it. You know, my client's out of town. The right person's not here. We don't want to be beholden to the defendant telling us when they're going to come around and sign. Sherry, what do you think? Do you, do you agree? I do agree. And one thing I think that's changed a little bit in the post-pandemic era is that notaries are no longer required. You know, most of our clients were working from home without access to one, so it became very easy for us to tell defendants we're not going to notarize these agreements. And for the most part, they've all complied. Um, when I do run into a situation I will reach out to a client um, and ask if we can sign as attorney in fact for them because we have access to notaries in the office. So if you're running into a tight deadline at the end of the year, that is one way to get around some of the defense requirements. And we also use, um, and I know some of us on this have used it, we also have an online notary option. You know, I, I've found that it's less of an issue like you, Sherry, um, but let's so, so now we've talked about, you know, getting our mediation scheduled right, getting the logistics. But let's talk about cases that are not in mediation where we're doing like pre-suit demands. What type of things, guys, are we doing in the fourth quarter to kind of expedite that process and be as successful as we can? Yeah, I was going to say, I don't think it can wait till the fourth quarter. Um, everyone's busy at the end of the year. So I try to start earlier, like after the first quarter of the year, look at what cases I'm looking at, what claims I'm handling, and identify 10 or so that are gonna realistically be settled or resolved somehow that year, and revisit those as the year goes on so that we can accommodate some of these deadline issues that we're talking about, not only with signing a release and getting a mediation scheduled, but some of the pre-suit demand aspects um you know make sure you get them out early enough De the defense are taking longer and longer to evaluate damages and respond so i'm trying to give them more time um to, you know to accommodate them so that's a that leads me into and 
and Howard, <laughs> Howard knows the example I'm going to give, right? Um, if anybody's ever seen the movie Better Off Dead, you know, part of the title of this session is Chasing Checks, right? And we're hounding people. And sometimes I feel like the paper boy, right, in Better Off Dead, where he's chasing chasing John Cusack's character down. And he's like, I just want my $2. Like, where's my $2? And that's, you know, what Sherry's saying is, you know, get everything you need to get out the door with enough time to do that. Right, guys? 100%, Joe. Uh, by the way, top five comedy of all time. Um, you know, Sherry's really hit the nail on the head. Don't wait till the last minute. But in the event that you have to, and it happens to everybody, you know, adjustments don't get done in time, uh, witnesses are unavailable, etc. There are ways that you can create triggers, if you will, on trying to get cases resolved. So going back to your question, Joe, about it's the fourth quarter, there's no mediation set. What can you do to really push the case along? Um, you know, there are ways to do that, such as noticing the deposition of a key witness that you know that they don't want deposed, right? Um, sending written discovery that you know that they're not going to want to answer. Um, dealing with third parties that may be able to, uh, you know, give you supportive testimony or in some way, shape, or form through a business relationship influence the responsible party. So there are definitely ways to do it if you have to do it in the fourth quarter. But Sherry, again, is just spot on. Don't leave it to the last minute. Great. So I'm going to make it a little bit more complicated for you guys. So let's talk about two different areas, which I think can be complex and a little bit more challenging at the end of the year, right? Where we're dealing with public entities. And I know, Howard, you and Briscoe have extensive experience with that, with wildfire litigation. But Sherry, you also have experience dealing with, dealing with foreign defendants and their insurers. So, you know, um, I don't know who wants to jump in first, but those seem like two more challenging areas as you're coming into the end of the year. What, what are your thoughts about that? Yeah, Joe, since a big part of our business is chasing manufacturers for defects, invariably we're going to run into a Chinese manufacturer or Taiwanese manufacturer. Um, if, you know, I did have the case where we went through, litigated, got a settlement together, and then before the check could be issued, apparently they wanted quite a bit of information from our client about uh, to comply with anti-money laundering laws under the People's Republic of China. And it, it, they wanted a power of attorney, they wanted bank information, just things that we thought were so beyond the pale that we refused to comply. So that settlement, you know, we had hoped to get it in by the end of the year, but it took us about another 60 to 70 days to get that finalized. Ultimately, we ended up not having to provide that information, but we really had to you know, amend the settlement agreement, get the carrier to write the check instead of the client manufacturer, um, th things like that that you just don't anticipate necessarily happening because it's not necessarily discussed at the mediation or during the claim resolution who is doing the actual payment of the money. Awesome. That That's really helpful for our listeners because, you know, that may become more and more common, you know, as we try to chase down some of those manufacturers. 
Howard and David, you know, you guys are on our national wildfire team. Um, you guys have any experience with trying to get um, deals done with public entities? What can you uh, what can you tell us about that? Yeah, so public entities. One note I'll make, and then I'll kick it over to Howard. Is we uh, um, public entities are dealing with a different type of schedule. Normally, we're used to saying defendants, "Hey, you know, we expect payment in 30 days, or we expect payment less because it's the year end, and we're trying to, you know, get a settlement done quickly." Um, and and so if we're going to do this deal, we need payment in 10 days, and we need it wired. Or we'll come up with these things. For a public entity defendant, it just completely depends. A number of them will say, look, we're agreeing in principle to a deal, but we have to get this approved by the city council and it'll take 90 days to get this on the city council agenda. Um, and there's nothing we can do about it. This is the red tape where, where kind of hands are tied. So that's something to keep in mind um, when you're dealing with the public entity defendant. Sometimes you can get around that, but a lot of times, depending on the public entity involved, their hands may be tied and that's something you want to go into it um, prepared for. Howard, what, what, what Briscoe's explaining is that there's a lengthy process involved here, and you kind of had to even factor that in on top of all of the other end-of-the-year uh, issues we deal with. Yeah, and specifically, I'll give you an example. You know, the, the Los Angeles Department of Water and Power uh, has settlement authority up to a certain dollar amount, but after that dollar amount, uh, the lawyers don't have authority everything that they settle is subject to approval by their board. And it's not just as simple as saying, okay, we have a settlement, go to the board tomorrow and make sure that the settlement's approved. The city attorney has to do a write-up on the case. Um, then the city attorney has to put in a request to get the uh, settlement on calendar. Uh, they only meet twice a month. So the, if you don't get on the first or second calendar or have an untimely settlement such that you miss one, uh, you may be waiting for a period of, you know, three to six weeks before you can even find out if you have a settlement. So you do need to move things along. You need to be uh, mindful of the requirements of a public agency's settlement authority. Uh, so you can make sure that you account for that when uh, you are, figuring out whether your money's going to make it in by the end of the year. That's a, that's a really good example. Um, I, I had something similar happen this year where, um, I, you know, as, as some of our listeners know, and as you guys know, I'm in our Miami office, you know, Florida is condo heaven here. Um, we deal with a lot of condominium loss cases, a wide variety. And I recently had one where the association our insured did, you know, we weren't representing them. They had separate counsel and they had a fairly substantially, a fairly substantial uninsured claim that they were pursuing. And, you know, that type of situation plays in with condo boards too, because they were unable to, I mean, it took months to get an agreement worked out because a similar scenario, Howard, where the attorneys had some authority, but they had to keep going back to the board and it became a really like arduous drawn out process. So, you know, those type of things to keep ahead of, I think are really good. Um, we're coming in on, I think what I would say is our last topic here. Um, so at the end of the year here, you know, what do you guys think about, you know, persuasive arguments to keep in your back pocket and, and sort of 
don't be bullied around just because it's the end of the year. So, um, Howard, why don't you take that one first, and then we'll kind of go down the line with the rest of the folks here. Sure. Um, well, first and foremost, don't be bullied by anybody. You're uh, a plaintiff lawyer, you're a subrogation lawyer, and by definition, uh, as the saying goes, at least within our firm, you're a junkyard dog. So this is really about um, communicating with the other side, whether it be defense counsel or an adverse adjuster, um, being aggressive, but professional, uh, maintaining an open line of communication with them, uh, stressing to them that they're going to uh, really want to get this off their books for a number of reasons, whether that be it's a really good case and you don't want to deal with it. Um, it's a, a liability case and you want it off of your books by the end of the year. Uh, do you really want to continue to incur uh, attorney's fees and expert costs on a case that you know you're going to ultimately pay on? So there are a number of pressure points, if you will, uh, at the end of the year that you can really um, lean in on to the other side and trying to get something resolved. What, what are your thoughts, Sherry? Sure. A lot of what Howard said rings true in all cases. I mean, if you're dealing with def, you know, a defense counsel because they've assigned it out to counsel, the same arguments apply. Um, you know, the beginning of the year to me always brings cleanliness. Uh, we want to clean out these files. I think they do too. They get tired of us after 12 to 18 months of litigation, and there's going to be something new coming along. Um, hopefully, you know, the best thing uh, that I try and do is set a lot of trials between February and May, because that is typically one of those triggers, like Howard was talking about, that will get them to finally give you the offer that is worth accepting. That, that's a really good point. So I, I think we've got a lot for our listeners in this session. Uh, I want to thank everybody. I want to thank Howard, David, Sherry for joining today. And for those of you out there listening, hopefully there are some listeners. Um, for those of you out there listening, if you ever have any questions and you want to run anything by us, feel free to reach out to any one of us. All of our information is on the Cozen O'Connor website. Um, Howard, Briscoe, Sherry, thanks again. Um, and happy hunting, everyone. Thank you.